There's no more intimate object than a piece of jewelry. Not only because it's worn on an almost a day-to-day basis by, by the persons, but also it's a, um, an object um, that, that is the center of a transmission between generations. So not only it represents you when you actually wear the piece of jewelry, but it will represent you forever because everybody will, repre- will remember you through the jewelry and with a personal touch. I am Susie Menkes, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. As Cartier celebrates its 100th year of English artworks with the jeweller's historic London workshop, I talk to its image, style and heritage director, Pierre Renouot. The Parisian jeweller and watchmaker was founded by Louis-François Cartier and it is his grandchildren, Louis, Pierre and Jacques, who transformed Cartier into what it is today. By 1902, Cartier established itself in London by Jacques. The jeweller evolved with an atelier upstairs and it is there all the action took place, making orders for special clients by the master craftsman. Named the Jeweller of Kings and the King of Jewellers by King Edward VII, the Maison has a strong association with the royal family, with links to Wallace Simpson, the future Queen of England, the Duchess of Cambridge, who was lent the Cartier halo tiara by the Queen, and the Duchess of Sussex, who wore Cartier diamond earrings and bracelet on her wedding day. Let's hear from Cartier's fountain of knowledge, Pierre Renaud, on a century of craftsmanship and creativity, how Cartier collaborates with clients, past and present, and what the jewellery house represents today. You have a splendid title at Cartier, I notice, and I know you spent most of your working life there. You are the Image, Style and Heritage Director, and this is of one of the most famous jewellery houses in the world. Can you explain to me how you see your role in those words? Um, In those... um three words, I think the central one is style, because everything is at the service of the contemporary style and its evolution. And uh, at Cartier, when we talk about style, of course, uh, the reference is also um, of its building, you know, all through uh, uh, generations and uh, generations of uh, designers, workers, uh, many people, because Cartier is about, you know, uh, a collective work. Uh, it's not only one person. And um, the artistic dimension is shared by many people involved in the creative process. So I'm one of them and uh, have a specific word on uh, the style dimension of our creations uh, based effectively on a long tradition uh, since 
the vision of Louis Cartier at the very beginning of, a, of the 20th century about what should be the Cartier style and how it should evolve through times. Well, you seem to me um, very modest because I have heard you described as a fountain of knowledge. I myself have I've seen Cartier's global vision over the years, taking the, um, of course, the jewellery house came from Paris to the Far East and across the world. And um, you've been very much involved in that. But I know that there is one country that is especially close to the house's heart. It's my country, Great Britain. And I know that this year, 2021, marks the centennial of, I think it was called English Artworks by Cartier. Is that right? It was a beginning of it going to all the royal family and all the grand people in, in England in the turn of the last century. You're totally right. In fact, we, um, we are in, in, um, in England and we are in London since 1902. And under, uh, I think, I was, I was going to say the pressure, or let's say, according to the idea of the Prince of Wales uh, at the beginning, that who will become, of course, the um, Edward VII, was uh, a Cartier client already in, in Paris when he used to spend much of his time in France. And in fact, he wanted to keep Cartier as a, as a supplier. And uh, of course, he pushed us a little bit to establish uh, our, our store and then um, an, um, an atelier uh, in London. And I think that I, I am right about my numbers, aren't I? So it's the 100th year of English artworks. And um, the Maison's historic London workshop, of course, has had a most illustrious history. And... Um, when Pierre, I don't mean you, Pierre, who is in front of us now, but um, the Pierre who was part of the family, he managed the store in New York and his brother Jacques opened the store in London. And by 1926, you see, I've been working hard here to learn all the details. It was the largest jeweller in the capital. That's very impressive. And, you know, with an office for Jacques on the same floor as the entrance to the new Bond Street premises, there was a real feeling that it was not just something for special clients, but it was also a workshop and that it was about craftsmanship as early as that. Can you tell us a bit about that? There is a very um, specific context in, in London because at the difference of New York, for instance, when uh, the atelier will be open also uh, uh, very early, like in, like in London, more or less, I think very, very quickly, all the workers will be British. Uh, at the difference of New York, where most of the workers will be coming from France. So it means that the context in London was very, um, let's say, positive, very favorable uh, to, to find uh, already a very high standard craftsmanship. And um, so it was easy to establish uh, this, uh, this, uh, this atelier um, in London. And at the difference also of the designers, because at the beginning, the designers were all French uh, in London and progressively, effectively, they, uh, they became... Um, they were coming from uh, the British world. So it's very interesting to see that London uh, was already uh, a context of very high demand in terms of, uh, of craftsmanship. So Cartier gave, I think, its own uh, view on uh, what jewellery should be, uh, should be about, especially in terms of style and, and, and creation. But uh, the qualitative uh, background was already there in London. And of course, also there was this royal family who seemed to love jewels almost as much as they loved each other. And, you know, I was mesmerised the other day when, when I visited the um, historical library on the um, upper floor of the Cartier store and I saw all these famous people. Um, I believe Cartier was called the jeweller of kings and the king of jewellers. I've been looking up another number, 30 tiaras, three zero, made 
as stock in preparation for the um, coronation of King Edward VII. Two jewellery houses really thrive on these personal relationships between creator and client. And is it still going on today? Is it still a personal thing when people are interested in buying jewellery? I think you're very true to mention uh, the very special link uh, between not only the royal family, but also the entire British aristocracy. Because if you went to the library uh, in the archives in London, you see that the first books that show um, who bought Cartier at first when Cartier uh, established uh, the store in, uh, in 1902, you have incredible names, the most important names. So th that means that Cartier was very much expected uh, in London by these important persons uh, to have, um, let's say, a model of what they considered at the time a contemporary piece of jewelry, because that's what Cartier was about, especially using platinum, uh, associating colors in a different way, um, and also the um, working thanks to platinum in a very um, fluid way in terms of its creation. So n n I think in, before Cartier, uh, the work of jewelry didn't reach that, that uh, level of fluidity and articulation and, of course, uh, played with light in a, in a way that uh, was not seen before, that had never been seen before. So that's the key, uh, the key um, of a success. And then, effectively, I totally agree with you. I think the, the, the piece of jewelry establishes a special link uh, with a person. There's no more intimate object than a piece of jewelry. Not only because it's worn on an almost day-to-day -day basis by, by the persons, but also it's a, um, an object um, that, that is the center of a transmission between generations. So not only it represents you when you actually wear the piece of jewelry, but it will represent you forever because everybody will, will remember you through the jewelry and with a personal touch. It will represent your taste, it represents your, your character, and uh, that's why jury is so important, uh, I think, uh, for, for people in general. And that's why also, through the importance of jury, why the link between the clients and the jeweler are very special. Uh, because there's a kind of uh, confidentiality between the two, of course, and also um, the jeweler is able to enter in the, in the most intimate part of a person because the jeweler knows not only the taste of a person, but what the persons, the persons want to express about themselves. And uh, there's nothing like a jewel to express yourself. And uh, that's why the jeweler uh, knows everything. You know, and that's why also confidentiality is key. It, it's very fascinating looking at these um, books with all the details in them in that um, library on the um, Cartier store in London. And um, I was turning over the pages. Of course, your staff were all very discreet and didn't answer any of my burning questions. But I realised that every piece of jewellery you make has got a story and a name. And it's about Cartier, of course, but it's about the clients in the past, how they reacted. It's really a, an extraordinary, um, what should I say, a sort of close-up of a whole era when this jewellery was made. Uh, you're very right, because the, the, a piece of jewellery is a, a representation of a specific moment when the person came, whether to buy a piece, as we say at Cartier, from stock, meaning a piece that was made on the decision of Cartier in terms of design, in terms of choice of stones, or as a special order, 
So you have the two ways of acquiring uh, a piece um, at Cartier. And, uh, but both of them tells a story of a very special choice. You know, uh, I think no piece of jewelry is, is uh, something that doesn't represent something important. You know what I mean? It's, um, it's, it's very interesting to see that the accounts, because that's how we call all those books uh, by, by, by name, are full of uh, an, an incredible number of visits, uh, because uh, not only it's about uh, buying the piece itself at a special moment, as I said, but also adapting it or when you want to give it to your daughter then you, you change it a little bit you change the stones you, you have a different choice in terms of colors you want it shorter you want it longer so you have all those different stories in in, in the books and um, it's an incredible number of as we say entries in, in in those books for a lot of lot of details and it tells you also of on how many times those persons came to, to the premises of, of, of Cartier. It was like, you know, uh, a sort of uh, regular visit to your jeweler. You know, it was... Uh, uh, and it made the relationship also very narrow, you know, when very, uh, very... Um, Almost like a, um, a family relationship, you know, because oh, as I told you, it's like a being um, uh, giving you um, or giving the person or giving the jeweler more um, the, the confidences about, about you know the, everything that was going on around the family. And of, of course, what's interesting for me as a, as a journalist and as somebody who's been looking at um, the work of your company of Cartier over so many years is that it does change. I mean, I'm sure that you might um, work very closely with your clients. But when I come to the windows, and this is true across the world when we're talking about Cartier stores, I, I feel that there are changes and major ones. Um, recently, there's this been this collaboration with um, nature. So we've seen jewels inspired by water and flora and fauna in quite an abstract way. Um, explain that to me, because if that's not what I would think of as a typical thing that perhaps a client and a client who's been with you for many years would have chosen. So why did you invent it? We are, with your question now, Susie, we are at the centre of what Cartier is about, I think. Cartier is about um, a permanent research for new forms of beauty. And the very notion of beauty doesn't stop evolving. And, um, and we have a vision of beauty today, which is not exactly the same as a decade ago or a generation ago or even five years ago. So it's a permanent evolution. And um, Cartier is an actor of this, uh, of this evolution. And we always look for different shapes, different beauties, different association of colors, uh, different type of pieces uh, of jewelry. And I think also that's part of what our clients come and, 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 and look for uh, when they come to Cartier. They want surprises. And it's, it's a paradox in a way, because at the same time, they want something which is, in their, in their words, very Cartier, but at the, at the same time, something which is very new. So that's a paradox we have to manage on a permanent basis. So the, the different types of inspiration, and you mentioned flora uh, or fauna, for instance, together with geometric shapes or abstraction, are uh, in our repertoire of, um, of researches and, uh, and work in terms of looking for new shapes of beauty or new forms of beauty. So that's what we want to show also, is that uh, jury is about art. Uh, jury is a strong artistic dimension. It's a field of expression for creators, and it 
attaches the art uh, as another type of, uh, of art expression. Isn't that one of the most difficult things to handle the heritage? It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because every house with a, a history has to balance that glorious past and you couldn't have much more glorious than um, in England for Cartier. But you've got to move forward. So, so how do you do that? You've got the Cartier Panther that is truly iconic. But how do you keep it as fresh as it must have seemed at the very beginning? This is the, the um, one of the principles we have. Because when we look at our heritage, of course, we look at the corpus of the, the, all the pieces we made in the past. In the past. But this is just the what we produced, what we created. But at the same level of interest, we have a how and the why. Because, again, the context of what you create evolves on a permanent basis. So well, to stick to our heritage, we have to stick to the how and the why and how in the past Cartier did handle the context of the past and to, in fact, face the present and the future in the same manner. And uh, that's our way. So we don't look only to the vocabulary, uh, or the aesthetical vocabulary in that case, of what we did create in the past, but also we try to stick to the philosophy, to the values of Cartier, to take them into account in the way we work today and we will work tomorrow. That's, the, I think, the secret of our, of our work. And as a result, I think what we aim at is to obtain that impression I was mentioning from our clients. Oh, it's very Cartier. Oh, it's very new. I'd like you to tell me a bit more about the British. And... Uh, because after all, you've got French customers, you've got American ones, you've got customers all over the world in the Far East. But in England, as we've just been saying, you made an impact, the company made an impact so early on. Is there a particular effect of Britain literally keeping its crowns with its royal family? Was it the royal family that really kicked off Cartier in those early parts of the last century? You, in asking this question, you raise different aspects of our work. First, um, who is an opinion leader in a way, <laughs> and effectively a royal family uh, was and still is a uh, key opinion leader in terms of what has to be to be worn, especially in 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 ceremonial jewelry and in in um, in jewelry that is uh, worn in very important circumstances. I think there's uh, nothing more important uh, than a royal ceremony, and then of course the the place of the members of a royal family is key. Uh, I think to to give examples of of what should be worn, uh, but I think also in the British society we have different aspects that you cannot find in France on the, on the continent. I think in in, in self expression, for instance, um, I think there is a taste for uh, let's say elegance in a different way. There's a dimension of. Uh, extravagance in a way in, in England, controlled extravagance, of course, very interesting in a very interesting way, but also which is a kind of tradition, uh, you know, uh, in England. And there are something that are not only authorized, but encouraged uh, in England and we, that we couldn't find on, on the continent, uh, I think. And that also helped us in our creativity in general. Uh, you know, I think today the Cartier 
international is deeply influenced by our British experience, you know, uh, and the the fact that we, we are and we have been operating in England for such a long time did build another dimension in our uh, very identity. As a fashion editor, I, I'm so interested in what you say about the um, British people and jewellery, because isn't it the same with hats? I mean, I think we're the last country in the world when people genuinely put on hats for fun, for weddings, for parties. And it must somehow link together, mustn't it? The same sort of feeling? No, I think I think the comparison is very right. I think effectively, at the same time, you know, you have a tradition with hats because there are many official possibilities to wear the hats in England, much more than in France. I think of Ascot, I think of, you know, other races, uh, horse races and things like that, which is also like, a, you know, uh, the, the ceremonies, but at the same time with a British eye on them. And I think it's so lovely. It's incredible to look at the hats that are produced in those circumstances in, in, in England. It's, it's a very creative, uh, with very um, um, interesting and uh, manner to not only to wear them, but to conceive them. And also there's a specific, I was coming to that also in terms of jury. I think there's a, a sort of, I don't know if you have, I would say sense of humor, but a sort of distance also towards object uh, between people and object in England, which is very, very interesting. You know, it, it's like um, you take them seriously and at the same time, don't take them seriously. You play with them. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, uh, it's a combination of the two. And um, I think it's something that everybody in the world uh, do admire, you know, uh, does admire to, uh, towards, you know, British, uh, British people is that, Again, it's a, um, an attitude uh, in a good um, way of uh, saying it, you know, uh, towards life in general, by the way. It's always difficult to define what is English or what is um, international. And when we're going back 100 years of when you started your um, time with Cartier in England, um, what are we talking about? What are the things that were different in England from all the other countries? I think uh, the, uh, the ceremonial jury was very important. We, we were facing two countries that were extraordinary on, on that, uh, on that uh, topic. That was Russia and England. Uh, probably Russia the, and the Russian uh, aristocracy was uh, going even further in terms of importance of jury. I think the, the, the imperial court in St. Petersburg was really, really investing, I would say, in jury even more than, uh, than the British aristocracy was. But still, the two countries were uh, on the same level of demand for a really impressive jury. And uh, I, I will always remember on, on another side, you know, the... The, uh, the the novel you know the Edwardians uh, but by uh, Vita Sackville West because in there you know the the, the main uh, the main character at one point uh, brings all her jury to remount by Cartier in a modern way so because also at the same time you know um, it was uh, the idea that of course Cartier was famous because of a level. Uh, the social level of its clientele, but also, and because of um, its, um, let's say, newness in terms of design and craftsmanship. And that was the idea of a duchess, you know, in, in the Edwardians, you know, uh, to remount all her rubies, uh, thanks to, 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 to Cartier. So that's how, you know, we gained that, that uh, clientele in, in, um, in, in, uh, in Great Britain. And I, and I think about the Englishness, I think that um, that ceremonial jury or that official role of jury in society, 
um, was key and very different from jury in France, for instance, where there was not you know, no court life, you know, and not the same codes. And uh, be, be, since the uh, you know the, the end of the Second Empire, so um, there was a social life where jury was mandatory, but not in the same way, uh, of course, as as in England or in Russia, as as uh, as I mentioned. And probably also what I should say, probably. Um, because we didn't have in France the frame of social codes as much as in England, probably um, the rate uh, of novelties, of newness, the, the, the search for new shapes was um, going faster in France than it was going in England, probably. And we brought that into, into, into London. Uh, I think that, um, that uh, idea of always looking for something different, something new, and um, in England at the, at, at the time. So, but I, I totally agree with you to distinguish uh, a specific Englishness is, is something very difficult, especially in our house where um, at first, before the creation of, of English artworks, the creations were coming from Paris, you know, from 1902 to 1921, all the creations were, were coming from Paris. So the, the Cartier taste was the Parisian taste of Cartier at first. And then progressively, thanks to the, the designers and the atelier um, that we, uh, we had in, in London, then there was an input from uh, the, the Cartier clients and an adaptation to, uh, to a kind of, um, of English taste. But at the same time, the exchanges between the different centers at Cartier, London, New York and Paris, were so, um, let's say, um, um, happening so often, you know, because there were all the pieces created in London, the, the books, the, the pictures were sent to Paris and to New York. So uh, the preoccupation of maintaining one style was there. So um, everything that was created in London had an echo in New York and in Paris also. So that's why the, the Cartier style is one and the nuances are very, very very um, small, you know, in, uh, in what we did specifically in each of those locations. Of course, now um, England and the whole of the United Kingdom has such a mix of people from different backgrounds, from different countries. I, I'd like to go back for a moment to, um, I'm sure you're too discreet to tell me any jewellery gossip, but I do remember that when I wrote my book, The Royal Jewels, a long time ago now, I discovered that the Duke of Windsor offered a massive Cartier emerald ring for his then lover, Wallace Simpson. And there was a string of jewels afterwards that were, after they were married, there was the panther from you, um, in Sapphire, and there was a, that amazing flamingo, the flamingo brooch in 1940. Do you think that the Maison, your house back then, had to learn to be absolutely discreet with these royal clients? Or did people know? Did people know it was from Cartier when they saw that Wallace Simpson wearing it? First of all, I would say that uh, when your jewelry house, by essence, uh, it's about confidentiality and discretion. Because, you know, you, you, you have, you get clients just because you, you establish trust. And trust is established through uh, that uh, confidentiality. And I think we wouldn't have had clients such as uh, members of a royal family without that trust. This is um, a key element before um, 
gaining any any uh, type of clients, I think. And to answer your question about the recognition of the Cartier source, in a way, for this species of jury, yes, I think the Duchess herself was was explaining that the pieces were coming uh, from Cartier. She was also photographed in magazines and, uh, and paper, newspapers, and uh, the mention of a provenance uh, of a jewels was mentioned uh, at the time. You know, it's a period of time when people were let's say, sharing <laughs> their, their jury with, uh, with the readers. And um, it's, it's, we, are, we are now in very different times. Uh, but at the time, um, it was an element of proud, you know, of pride, sorry. And people were proud about that and they were mentioning them. So, uh, yes, people knew about uh, the provenance from Cartier uh, of this species um, of, of jury because it was shared by the persons themselves. It's no use asking you to tell me all the secrets of another Duchess, the Duchess of Sussex and her Cartier diamond earrings and bracelet that she wore on her wedding day. Our lips are sealed on the subject. But tell me, do you have one story, especially a British one, that you'll always remember from your many years at Cartier? Something that you think is, is typical of your business and the way you run it, and also something of beauty, something that really thrilled the person who bought it and wore it? The first thing that comes to my mind is the last visit of a queen to France. Uh, when she wore Cartier, she decided to wear Cartier coming to France. And uh, I saw that as, you know, a tribute to, uh, to her own personal link with, uh, with France. So she, she, I remember, you know, uh, a coral rose, uh, a rose in coral as a brooch that the Queen was wearing when I, when I saw her at the British Embassy and for me uh, in, in Paris. And for me, that was really touching, very moving, you know, to see that very special attention uh, given to uh, to France. You're talking here about the current Queen of England, yes? Yes, yes. So I think, I think that was very, very, very touching. And um, of course, when you see the new generation wearing some of our pieces, uh, of course, for us, again, uh, it's a way of, uh, let's say, being on our side, uh, very proud, you know, of that long history we share with the royal family. And again, uh, it's a question of trust and a question also of taste. And uh, it, it testifies also of a long history that Cartier had uh, in, um, in, the, um, in London and in, in, in England. If you had to give one word, one sentence, one paragraph of advice to anybody, to a, um, a lover who was about to um, ask his a lover who he was going to ask to marry him, or to somebody, a woman these days, who often buys things herself. I'm sure that's something that you've told me about, how that women feel much stronger and much more um, full of ideas when they buy their own jewels. Is there anything that you particularly think is a reminder of, of the 2020 world? First of all, I would say, trust yourself. Try to think of what you like, and don't be... Uh, let's say, don't follow what everybody else tells you. I think jury is so important 
that you should trust you in, in your choice because at the end, that piece of jury will tell a lot about you. So don't choose to tell a lot about the others. Choose to tell a lot about yourself. So trust yourself and express yourself. And you will never be wrong that way. And I think, of course, and at Cartier, we will help you to express yourself and to uh, find the best choice to make. Well, not only did you made such wonderful things, but you also, your company had the um, idea of actually keeping the records that we were talking about before. And I think that that is really a major importance so that you really can trace things back and trace whether it started in France or started in England. And that just makes the whole thing so fascinating. And to feel that you're so much more than just a simple jeweller, that there are layers and layers of different levels, and which is fascinating. And I could go on listening to you about it for hours. <laughs> in fact, in that uh, keeping tracks of everything we did, there were two ideas. First, uh, the idea that jury is important and uh, we maintain the, the relationship with the owners through their account, through the jury they bought, generation after generation, you know, and if you go in the client account, you see that, you know, you see uh, first the, the, the parents, then the, the children, then the grandchildren in the same account, you know, and you follow the piece of jury generation after generation in our, in our, in our papers. So this is the role of a jeweler as we look at it at Cartier. And second, and I, I don't know if it comes second, but it's at the same time, you, you, you have a preoccupation for style because all those records are very important, especially in my role today, but it was in the role of my predecessors also, to keep the record of what was created and um, to maintain the style generation after generation within Cartier, you know, and that was also key to keep trace of that incredible grammar and vocabulary we, we, we use in our creations. And that corpus of knowledge is essential to our work today. Well, your great skill has been to go from past to present and future and make it all seem part of the Cartier story. So I commend you for that. So now I'm going to ask you my final question, and it's all about me. I have a love of purple that everybody knows. I wear purple more than any other colour. So when it comes to jewels, really, I should find something purple, shouldn't I? What do I do when my, my three sons say to me, we'd like to buy you a gift and it's going to be diamond? Do I say, let's go ahead with it? Or do I say, can you find me something purple? I think, I think please, go to the purple. I think, again, it's, it's yourself, it's you. So uh, let's not be impressed by something that would be more expensive, more costly, or more important. What is more important is your taste. So you have to please yourself. Ask your children to really to please you, offering what you like, I think. So go to purple, <laughs> definitely. But what about a purple stone among oh, diamonds there are, surrounding there are different it. nuances of purple. Uh, of course, uh, you could go. You could go to. Uh, um, you know, there are some rubies from India, from uh, with a purple nuance. But you have also rubellite. You have some tourmaline. If you if you like if you like uh, a more um, you know um, metallic tone, you can go for spinels uh, because they have that. Uh, kind of metallic stone, but you have to choose them uh, carefully because some of them are more pinkish than purplish. So, uh, but rubellite is a very, very good, uh, a very good choice. Pierre Renoir, you've given me so much information and you've given me such an idea of what I'm going to be wearing when you next see me. 
Thank you so much for talking. It's been a fascinating moment. Thank you, Susie. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much, Pierre, for your insight and for the world of Cartier, the many people involved in the process, the long tradition of the Cartier style and how it has evolved over time. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan, music by Jörg Zuber, graphics by Paul Wallace, and edited by Tim Thornton. To find my articles, visit susiemenkes.com and susiemenkes on Instagram. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can find me on all the usual channels.